Hamoshivis ishto chenvanis oshemina apitropia harizuma shpia calls manshir to boss. Listen to this. A man goes ahead and sets his wife up as a chenvanis. Limkar yeno uperoso bechanos. So let's say again they have property. So let's say he runs a store and his you know he sells wine and fruit. Wine and fruit. So what happened? That's Rashi's case. It doesn't really matter what she's selling. So he sets her up as the shopkeeper. Or Shemina Apetropia. Or for that matter, he put her in charge. He put her in charge of the of the properties or of the estate. Right? So she's Rashi points out, so she's bringing, she's dealing with the produce, she's hiring workers, she's conducting business. What's Talacha? Mashpia Kozman He could make her take an oath that she is not stealing anytime he wants. A secret, meaning again, I will say, and by the way, no, no different, no different than any person who really works for you. Technically speaking, you could go ahead as an employer, you can go ahead and make your employees take a shvua that they are not skimming anything additional off the top. Okay? And the Kiddush is you can do it even with your wife. Rebelazar Omer, it's not just if she's running your business, but this is true. Even pilcha is her spindle, or isasa is the dough. That you can make her, Rebbe says, you can make her take a shvua. This is actually very interesting. That's what? That she's not, that she's not skimming any dough. Right, that she's not taking any dough. This is not like proverbial. Doesn't matter. This is actual dough. Right, that she's not taking any additional dough and kind of selling it off on the side, or that she's not stealing any thread and taking it for herself. Says the Gemara. Ibayluhu Rabbi Eliezer. Ide Gilgul Kamar Ol Lechatchila Kamar. And I must listen to this. We will see. There's a concept of Gilgul Shvua. Gilgul Shvua means that there are certain things that by themselves do not generate an obligation for an oath, but. Once you are swearing about A, we could be Megalgal, we could roll other things onto that and make you swear about those other items as well. So when Rabbi, Ele- when Rabbi El- Eliezer says that you can administer an oath, even regarding her dough usage or her thread usage, is he saying that, Gilgul Ka'amar, Ka'amar? Is he saying that it once you're already making her swear, let's say because she's a chenvanis, then you could roll this other stuff onto it as well. Or is he saying that literally the chatchila, a husband could make his wife take a shvua, that she's not taking any extra dough or any extra thread from the household? So Tashma, let's analyze this. They said to Rabbi Eliezer, this is not appropriate. In Adamdar So you can't do this to the woman. You can't have a situation where a husband could make his wife take a shvua whenever he wants. You know, she's baking challah. She's baking challah on uh, Erev Shabbos on Thursday, and he thinks that she's that some of the dough is missing, and mama she can make her take a shvua. You can't do that. You can't create a marriage like that. Ma- literally, you can't live with a snake in the same basket. If you set up a marital situation like this, it will absolutely implode. So. So if Rabbi Eliezer holds that literally you could administer such a shvur like this, then what the rabbis are saying to Rabbi, to Rabbi Eliezer makes sense. It's not appropriate to do this. However, excuse me, so we'll say, but again, but if it's only through Gilgul Shvua, meaning if it's only be, if it's if the only way to administer the shvur for for her thread and for her dough is if she's already taking a shvur as a chenvanis. So if it's happening, meaning if she already has to take a shvur as a chenvanis because she's operating in a business capacity, who cares if we roll on this additional shvur as well? Why would that matter? To which the Gemara says the Amrale kevan dikidah 
de ke daikis basrai kule hai lo matsina de adrabadak. Well, said, is an incredible yisod in marriage in Shalom Bayes. What does she say to him? If you are going to be so meticulous with every single thing that I do, then I cannot live with you. So it's meaning what she said, what the Gemara is saying is like this. You want to say that once she's taking a shvua as a chenvanis, as a chenvanis, so what does it matter if we roll on to that? We're galgel, the thread and the, and the, and the dough, because she can say, you know what, it's not about the thread and the dough. If you're looking over my shoulder like that, then the truth is, this is not going to work. And I will say, no, we know it's true. It's an incredible din in Shalom Bayis, mm. that a person has to be mm. mevater. A person has to learn, yearn, yearn has learned, I'm sorry, I don't know why my English is so. A person has to learn to yield, right? A person has to realize that my significant other may do things that are not, quote unquote, correct in my eyes. A person may do things that are upsetting to me, that are annoying to me. But if a person is midactic with their significant other on every single little thing, it's impossible for a person to live under a microscope. We will see in the next Mishnah that there are circumstances in which a man proactively exempts his wife from ever being subject to a Shavua. Right? That I will never administer a Shavua to you. So if you had a case where a man proactively went ahead and exempted his wife from a Nedar, from a Shavua, and he appointed her as a storekeeper, shopkeeper, Oh, Shemina Apetropia, or he appointed her as an overseer of the business dealings of the estate. He's permitted to go ahead and administer an oath to her based on the fact that now she's running the business. As a wife, he can't administer an oath to her. But <laughs> as a person running his business, as an employee, absolutely can. But if he did not appoint her as a shopkeeper, as someone overseeing the business affairs of the estate, he does not have the right to go ahead and administer an oath. Rabbi Eli Ezra Melezer says, Rabbi Lezer says, not true. Even if what? Even if he never formally appointed her as a chenvan, as a shopkeeper, or an apotropia, he still can administer an, an oath upon her. Why? Because we will say every woman is an apotropis. How is every woman an apotropis, an executor? She's the apotropis over her thread. She's the apotropis over her dough. Meaning she has assets of the estate that are under her direct uh, direct purview. And therefore, again, Abeloza says he always has the ability to administer a shavua upon her to make sure that she is not inappropriately using the items to which she has access to in the estate. Amrulo ein adam dan nachash pikfifa. To which Rabbi Zazan that's not right. A person can't live with a snake in the same basket. I.e., if you create a situation where the husband at whim could administer a shvua to her because he wants to make sure that she's not using too much dough, she's not using too much thread. It's an untenable, it's an unsustainable marriage, unsustainable situation. Rabbi say, so what do you see from here? Shmami no lechatrila shmami no. Rabbi say, what do we see from here? We see from here that Lamaisa, Rabbi Eliezer, allows this shvua on the spindle and on the dough lechatria. I remember again, going full circle. The, 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 the Mishnah had two cases. The Mishnah had a case where if a man makes his wife a chenvanis or an apotropia, so she's acting in a business capacity, he has the ability to administer a shavu upon her in a business context, that she's not stealing from the business, no different than any other one else who was, who, was, who, was, who was running your business. Rabbi Eliezer comes along and essentially says he could even administer a shavu upon her, on her thread and on her dough. Why? Because now we understand 
Yisrael Rabbi Lezer essentially saying she's an apotropist. She's running that. She's running the thread business. She's running the dough business. Therefore, you can administer a shvua. The Gemara, the Gemara Shaila was when Rabbi Lezer says that you could go ahead and minister the shvua. Is that only through Gilgul? Is that only if she's if she's an apotropist in a, in, a, in a more global sense or a chenvanis? Then you could add on these smaller items as well. Or is he even saying lechatchila? You could go ahead and minister a shvua about her thread and about the dough. And the Gemara's conclusion is Rabbi Lezer Shita is. Even the chatrila, even the chatrila, the husband could choose to go out and make her take a shvua, even just al pilcha. Valisa. So we both say, we paskin like the Tanakama, not like Rabbi Eliezer. And Halach Alamais, again, if she's running the business of the estate, then Enochinami, the husband has the right to make her take a shvua, not because she's his wife, but because you have the right to administer a shvua like that to anyone who's running your business to keep them honest and to make sure they're not stealing. But Lamais, again, a husband does not have a right to administer a shvua on his wife to make sure she's not taking too much dormant, not making too much thread, for the simple reason that such a situation like that, that type of tension, will ultimately again create an unsustainable marital marital context. So we'll stop over here. We'll pick up a mirror to show with the Mishnah tomorrow. All right, we'll say good morning. A lot to do today. So today's daf is Pei Zayin. We are picking up at the Mishnah on Pei Vav Amud Beis. Says the Mishnah, Kasav la neder ushvo imi alayach. So we'll say, remember, actually the Gemara alluded to this, to this Mishnah yesterday. If a person, a man writes to his wife that I, I am freeing you, I am exempting you from any nether and shvua, meaning that I am, I am essentially relinquishing my right to impose upon you any kind of nether or shvua, uh, <coughs> so he's not permitted to go ahead and impose an oath on her. But if, let's say, she dies and her heirs want to come to collect the ksuba, or others, or let's say she sold the ksuba and others are coming in her place, so to them, he could, the husband is permitted to impose a shvua. Neder ushvua imi alaych valyor shayich valyor shayich vala bayim b'shuseich. But if he says, "I exempt you from a neder," as well as on your inheritors or anyone who comes in your stead, then imi yachol ashpia lohi v'lo yarshav v'lo asabayim b'shusa. Then he's not permitted to go ahead and administer an oath to her, to her heirs, or to anyone else who comes in her stead. Aval yarshav. Mashpian also, excuse me, Aval Yarshav also, but his inheritors are permitted to go ahead and administer an oath to either her inheritors or to anyone who comes in her stead. Ainly, Valoli Yarshai, Valoli Boim Bishusi, Alayach Val Yarshaiach, Valabayim Bishusaich. So we'll say, let's say he, makes, he writes the following statement I and my heirs, or anyone else who comes in my stead, does not have the ability to administer an oath to you, to your heirs, or to anyone who comes in your stead. <laughs> so neither he nor his inheritors nor anyone who comes in his place are not permitted to administer an oath. Lo osa, not to her. Lo her heirs. Or anyone ultimately again who comes in her stead. If she went from her husband's grave to her father's home, which is another way of saying she went from the Levaya back to her father's home, or she went back to her father-in-law's home after the Levaya, below Naasis Apotropia, and she never became an apotropist, meaning she never got involved in the financial matters of the estate. The Yarshim do not have the right to go ahead and administer an oath to her. The Naasis Apotropia, but if she became an apotropist, the Yarshim are able to go and administer an oath upon her 
going forward, meaning for anything, because now she's the apotropis of the estate, but they may not go ahead and administer an oath upon her for that which occurred in the past. Says the Gemara, Shvua, Maya So, what are we talking about? Meaning, when the Gemara says over here that the husband exempts her from a Shvua, what kind of Shvua are we talking about? We're talking about again, if he, remember we saw this yesterday, that if the husband goes ahead and appoints his wife as an apotropis over the estate, he has the ability to make her take a shvua in this that she ha, that she's not stealing anything. Because remember, that's not unique to marriage. That's true in any case where someone's running your business. So the halacha gives the employer, the business owner, the right to impose a shvua at will upon the person running his business. By the way, this is a good thing. It's a good thing because it keeps the apotropis, it keeps the person running the business honest. If a person knows that at any moment the bow could go ahead and minister an oath. Personal is under the microscope. So we're talking about over here about a husband who appointed his wife to be an apotropis while he was still alive. And therefore, again, what he's writing over here is that Lamaisa, even though he's, po- he's saying to his wife, no, appointing as the apotropis, I am hereby exempting you from any type of shua. Now remember, why would a husband do this? We saw this yesterday because his wife would say, I'm uncomfortable living under the microscope like that. I'm your wife. You're asking me to help out with the business. I'm doing so. But I'm not comfortable always being subject to Shavuah. So therefore, he writes to her, I'm exempting you from Shavuah. That's the first opinion. Rav Nachman, Amar Rav Baravua, Ala Pogemesk Suvasa. Oh, no. So Rav Nachman says it's a different case. And we're going to see this actually in the next Mishnah. Pogemesk Suva is a woman, is a woman who claims that she received partial payment on her ksuva. So we will see in the next Mishnah that if she claims that she receives partial payment on the ksuva, so Allah says she has to take a shavu in order to claim the rest. Rav Nachman is suggesting that the case in the Mishnah is where he says that even if you claim that you receive partial payment on the ksuva, I am <coughs> exempting you from shavu in order to collect the rest. Also, Rav Mordechai, Amr Ravashi. So Mordechai went and he said over this ruling in front of Ravashi. So Bishlom Lamanda, Amr Alapogemesk, Suvasa, Demaska Adaita, Dilma Mitzarchili Zuzi, Bishakilna Miksuvasai. Now, so it makes sense according to the one who says that we're dealing with the case of a woman who received partial payment of the Ksuva. Because sometimes a woman, sometimes a woman will require some extra money for something. And she could ask her husband for an advance on the ksuba. That could definitely happen. And therefore what? And therefore what? But sovli to And she says to her husband, I want you to put in writing that she will not go ahead and that you will not go ahead and make me take a shiva in order to collect the rest. El Lamanda Amr, because the said, meaning that's a Matsui case. A case like that could happen. But if we're talking about a situation where Lemaisa, she he's exempting her if she becomes an apotropis on his estate. She, he is exempting her from having to take an apotropis shvua. So, so the Gemara says, Does she know that he's going to appoint her as an apotropis? The Amralik Sovli Delomishabisli, that he could write for her proactively, or that she could say to him, Write for me that you will not make me take an oath. As well as what the Gemara is suggesting is the following A case like this where a husband is proactively exempting his life in Shavua, but very often this could happen at the beginning of a marriage. So at the beginning of a marriage, I understand. A woman might know that she may want a ksuva advance at some point in time. And so she says to her husband, I want you to write down now that you're exempting me from shavua in order to go. And that way I know that if I need to take a little bit of an advance payment on my ksuva, you're not going to make me take a shavua to collect the rest at the end of the day. But how does a woman know that one day her husband's going to appoint her as apotropis over the estate, that she asks him now to commit in writing that you're exempting me from shavua? 
So he said to him, Ason aha masnisula. You're understanding this as going on one part of the Mishnah. Anan aha masanin Allah. We actually learn this that this is referring to the last part of the Mishnah. If a woman went from the Levi of her husband to the home of her father, or for that matter, she went back to her father-in-law's home. It doesn't matter whose home she's going back to. What matters is that she's not involving herself in the affairs of the estate. She's not becoming an apotropis. So the Yarshim cannot go ahead and make her take an oath. They can't make her take an oath. Um, they can't make her take an oath. The imnasis apetropia, but if she became an apetropis for the estate, then what? Yershin mashpian osa ala asid lavo, the in mashpian osa al sha'avar. They may go ahead and they may take, they, they, may, they are permitted to allow her, to, they are permitted to make her take an oath going forward, meaning I both say now, the Yershim are the inheritors of this property. If she is now the executor of the estate, she's running the business. Going forward, going, remember, husband's dead, which means that the promise that husband made not, not to make her take a shavuah goes to the grave with him. The Yershim are the new owners. Going forward, the Yershim are permitted to go ahead and tell her, you must take an oath when we desire. However, but they can't go ahead and make her take a shavuah on the past. Al-Sha'avar, right, excuse me, Sha'avar, my avidite. Now, say, what, now, what does that mean? They can't make her take a shvu on the past. See, what the Imam is asking over over here is two is two two questions. If you look at Rashi, it's actually right across. Shavar my avidite. Kolomar ad masai kari the shavar the lo amina nixei diasminin who veintenai shalomuabar. So, I say, here's what's happening. Husband made husband made an agreement during his lifetime that he's not going to impose a shvu upon his wife. And now we're assuming right now we're talking about a shvu apatropis, right? Not going to make her take a shvu. Now, here's what we know. When he dies, when he dies, that shvua goes with him. The shayla is, at what, from what point and time forward are the yisomim permitted to make her take a shvua? So that's the only one wants to know. Because the Mishnah said that they, can't, they can make her take a shvua going forward, but they can't make her take a shvua on the past. Halachically, what constitutes the past? Maya viditei. Amrav yudu amrav ala petropis shenasis baila. This is talking about an apotropis that she was appointed as an apotropis while her, while her husband was still alive. Oh, so you know what it means? Past means when husband was still alive. But once husband dies, the Yershim have the ability to make her take a shvua about any of her dealings and any of her transactions with the property of the estate. So between death and burial already, meaning another, it's another way of saying, from the moment that the husband dies, the, the past is done, the, his, the agreement is done, and from the moment that he dies, the Yershim can make her take a shvua about her business dealings with the estate. Rab Masna Rabasa says, no, it's not true. Even between death and burial, that's still called avar, that's still called the past, and they can't make her take a shvua about her business transaction during that time. Because the Nardoim say, but it's very interesting. So now I told you say that you could sell off, that you could sell off property of an estate to pay for both say karga is head tax, mezoni is mezonos for a wife and for daughters and for orphans, and kvura means burial. You could sell off state property, Yarshan's property, without an announcement. And I both say now this is interesting. We'll see this later on. That talocha is that before you go ahead and you sell property before you sell property of Yisomim. So the halacha is you have to announce the sale for a certain amount of time. The reason for that is why? 
in order to encourage the interests of buyers. Because remember, again, if you sell something quickly, you don't give enough time to be able to get the word out. So this is what Gemara discusses, that you have to announce to sell the property for X amount of time before the actual sale takes place in order to get the best deal for the Yisomim. But however, there are certain exceptions to this, which means if you have to pay off your head tax to the king, or if you have to go ahead and you have to sell off for Mizonos, or you have to pay for a Levaya, in all of these cases, you are permitted to sell off property without prior announcement. So what do you see from here? You see that the woman has to be given certain rights to transact with the property of the estate in order to provide for the needs of her husband's burial. So because of that, Rabbi Ami suggests that, was it Rabbi Ami? Uh, no, I'm sorry, Rav Masna. Rav Masna suggests that therefore, halacha v'maysa, there's no, the, the, the period under from which her, say it differently, the time from which she is subject to the shavua for her transactions with the estate is only after the burial of her husband. But anything prior to the burial, she is exempted under the agreement that her husband made with her, not to subject her to any shavua. Amr Rabbah, let's say he says to his wife the following, he writes to his wife the following, I will not subject you to any nether, I will not subject you to any shavua. Rashi says, in right? I'm not going to impose on you any nether and no shavua. Who in the He is not permitted to impose upon her a shavua. But his heirs may. So meaning when he dies and his heirs inherit the estate, they are permitted to go ahead and impose an oath upon her. Naki neder, naki shavua. This is interesting. Let's say you ever. You are cleansed from a neder. You are cleansed from a shavua. Then what's the halacha? Says Rabbiya. Both he and his heirs are not permitted to go ahead and give her an oath. Why? This is what the husband really means to say to her. I am literally cleansing you from shuasis. What he's doing over here in this case is he's saying to her, that you are absolutely absolved from any shvur or any nether with anything to do with this particular property, anything to do with this estate. Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef says, So we'll say another version now. If he says, He writes this. Then what? Then neither he, then he can't give her, he can't impose a shvur, but his inheritors may. Naki neder, naki shvua. But again, if he says you are cleansed from a neder, cleansed from a shvua, then what? Bein hu u bein yershin mashbiyanosa. This is very interesting. So in this version, in this version of Rav Yosef, if he says naki neder, naki shvua, both he and his heirs are permitted to impose a shvua. What's the pshat? Hachi kamerla, naki nafsheikh b'shvuasa. What he's saying to her is, cleanse yourself with the shvua. In other words, Go ahead and clear up any ambiguity or any difficulty by taking the shvua. Next case. Naki nafsheikh b'shvuasa. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Shalach Rav Zakai lemar ukva. So Rav Zakai sent to mar ukva. Bein delo shvua, bein delo shvua, bein de naki shvua. Whether he said to her, lo shvua or naki shvua. Whether he used either of those phraseologies. Bein delo neder, bein de naki neder. Whether he said, no, I'm not going to oppose a neder on you or you should be cleansed from the nether. If he said, if he said, in my property, I am cleansing you or exempting you from a nether for a shvua from my property, then what? Then he is not permitted to go and impose a nether upon her. However, but Rabosai, his inheritors may. Why? Because since he's using the lotion of my property, what he's saying is, as long as this property is mine, 
you are exempted from a shvur or nedra. But once that property becomes what? Becomes someone else's, i.e. my yershim, they are permitted to impose a shvur upon you. But if he just says, you're exempted from a shvur, from a nedra, from this property, then what? Then what he's saying is, that both he and his heirs are not permitted to go ahead and make her take a shvur. Am Rab Nachman Amar Shmuel. So Rab Nachman's name is Shmuel. Mishum Abba Shaul ben Ima Miriam. In the name of Abba Shaul, the son of Ima Miriam, Bein Delo Shvua, Bein Dinaki Shvua. Whether he said Lo Shvua or Naki Shvua, Bein Delo Neder, Bein Dinaki Neder. Whether he said I'm not giving you a Neder or you should be cleansed from a Neder, Bein Minachasai, Bein Minachsachia Elaine. Whether he said from my property or from this property, Bein Hu Ubein Yershav Ein Mashpi and Osa. So in this case, Abba Shaul's name of Ima Miriam. Whenever he makes a Lashon of Ami exempting you from a Shvua, so we interpret that to mean that he's exempting you in totality from any Shvua to do with this property. Whether he owns the property, whether his Yarshim owns the property, then she's exempt. But what am I supposed to do? Because the Chachamim said what? The Chachamim put down, see, even though this is the Halacha, that's whenever you exempt her from a shvua, you're exempting her from everything. You're exempting her from, the, when it's your property, from the Yisomim. You can't give her a shvua, Yisomim can't give her a shvua. But what could I do? The Chachamim were very strict when it comes to anyone who wants to take property from Yisomim. And the halach is that if you want to take property from an estate owned by Yisomim, what must you do? You must go ahead and take a shvua. The Ika da Amrila Mas Nisa. Others interpret this as a b'raisa. Abba Shalb and Ima Miriam Amar. Abashal and Miriam said, Bain, um, excuse me, Amashal ben Ima, Abashal ben Ima, Miriam Amar, Bain Delo Shvua, Bain Dinaki Shvua, Bain Delo Nader, Bain Naki Nader, Bain Menechse, Bain Menechsachia Elaine. So I'll say, whatever you said, right? He not, right I'm, I'm exempting you from Nader, I'm cleansing you from Nader, my property, the property, in all of these cases, Bain Hu, Bain Yarshav, Ain Mashbi and Osa. But say now in this case over here, so therefore what he's 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 let, he's he's given up the right to administer a shvur, and that right is given up both for him as well as for his heirs. But what am I supposed to do? Because Chazal said that you can't collect from the property without taking a shvur. Da'alacha follows the son of Ima Miriam. Meaning the halacha follows Abashal. And I both say, this indeed is the halacha. That Lamaisa, again, when he uses this lasher of, right, lo shvua, lo neder, inakimi shvua, inakimi neder, nechasai, 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 whatever lasher he uses, his intention is to free her from all oaths concerning this property. And that exemption, meaning, and that's true, he can't administer an oath, his, his inheritors can't administer an oath. But Lamaisa, again, Lamaisa, at the end of the day, Chazal still instituted a blanket rule. And that blanket rule is, you can't collect from property of Yisomim without a Shavua. And all of that was done in order to safeguard the property of Yisomim. And we learned this before. Because since Yisomim often are not versed in the business dealings of their father, someone shows up and says, the father, the deceased father owes me this, owes me that. They don't necessarily know. Therefore, the only way to really protect them is to ensure that the only way you could collect from that property is to do so with the Shavuah. Says the Mishnah, Ha-Pogemes another interesting case. So we'll see what this case means in just a moment. So if a, if a woman is Pogem her Ksuvah, Lo Sifra Ele she can only collect with the Shavuah. 
Eid Echad Mi'ida Shiparua. Similarly, again, if you have an Eid Echad that testified that the Ksuvah was already paid, Lo Sifra Ela B'Shvua, she could only collect the Ksuvah the Shvua. If she wants to collect her ksuba from the property of Yisomim or from encumbered, from sold property, or if he's not present, in all of these cases, you can only collect her the shvua. So we'll see, now the Mishnah is going to explain each of these cases. What is the case of Pogemus ksuba? She had a very large ksuba of a thousand zoos. And the man, the husband claims, I paid you your ksuba already. And she says, no, 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 you paid me a mana, right? You paid a mana is a hundred zoos, you paid me a hundred zoos, but there's still another 900 zoos that you owe me. So what's Talacha? Lo Sifra El Bishua, Boss says she can only collect the other 900 zoos if what? If she takes a Shvua, then indeed she is still owned, owed that money. Eid Ech, Modul Mixus, correct. Correct. Eid Echad Mi'ida Shehi Perua. So what happens if you have an Eid Echad that testified that the Ksuva was paid? So what's the case? Ketzad. Ha'isik Ksuva Se'elav Zoz. Same thing. Her Ksuva was a thousand Zoz. Va'amra Allah Hiskabat Ksuva Se'ech. Ksuva Se'ech. And the husband claims, you already received, you received, I paid you. Behi Omeris Lo Hiskabati. She says, I didn't get, Rosa is different. In this case, she's saying, I didn't get anything. I didn't get anything. However, again, the Eid Echad Mi'ida Shehi Perua. But you have an eight echad who says, No, you did receive the money. So what's talacha? Lo sifra ella bishvua. She could only collect with the shvua. That's the that's second case. Third case. Minichasim mishubadim. Kate said, What's the case of where she's collected from Nechasim mishubadim? Machar nechasav lachirim. So she's married to a man. And over the course of the marriage, he went ahead and sold off his property. Now he dies, or he divorces her. She need, he has no property left. So, he want, so she wants to collect from. The sold properties. So says she has the right to go and collect from properties that were sold after the date of the marriage. She can only collect with the shvua. What's the case of May's husband died. And left his property to his heirs. And she wants to collect her ksuva from now the estate of the Yisomim. She can only collect with the shvua. And what's the case of where she wants to collect her ksuba not in his presence? So we'll say, so what happens? He divorces her, and then he goes overseas. He goes overseas. And she wants to collect her ksuba from his property. She can only collect with the shvua. On the base, Rabbi Shimon says, Any time that she claims her ksuba, the Yarshim ultimately again have the ability to impose an oath upon her. Then but if she's not, if she doesn't claim her ksuba, so the Yarshim don't have a right to impose an oath upon her. So we'll see in the Gemara what exactly this is talking about. Says the Gemara, So Rami Barchama wanted to say that the Shvua that we're referring to in the Mishnah is a biblical Shvua. What's the case? The Katoin Masayim, the Kamodi Libemea, Havya Modi Libemea, the Remember, we're familiar with this concept of mode de So mode de means that if someone makes a claim and you admit to part of the claim, that partial admission triggers the need for a shvua in order to substantiate the rest of your claim. So for example, in this particular case over here, in the, in the first case in the Mishnah, what's happening? Woman has a ksuba of a thousand zuz. Husband claims that what? I paid you, right? I paid you. Wife says, you paid me a hundred. That's mode of She admits 
that she received partial payment. Therefore, Rabbi Bar Chama wants to suggest that Rabbi said because she admitted partial payment, that triggers the biblical oath of Modib Mikzas. And Modib Mikzas says that again, if you admit part of the claim, you have to go ahead and take an oath regarding the rest of it. Therefore, again, Rami, uh, Rami Bar Chama is suggesting that the oath in the Mishnah, in fact, is a Shavua, is a Shavua de Araisa. Oh, so good. We're going to get that. No, I have to, she, meaning she's holding a document. A thousand. Good. We're going to see that. Barsha Kivanta. Good. Correct. She has a much stronger claim. She doesn't have to say anything. She could keep her mouth closed and she could just pull out her ksuba. We'll see that. Oh, so good. 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 You guys are good today. Baruch Hashem. Excellent. Excellent. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, this doesn't make sense for two reasons. This is, as I just mentioned, this is the opposite mode of Normally, again, what a Shavua does is a Shavua exempts you from payment. That, that's normally how you think. Look at Rashi just a moment. Remember, what's the classic case of Modem Mixas? Ruben lent me money, right? He says, I owe, I owe him the money. I said, no, 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 I paid you back. I borrowed $1,000, I paid you back $500, I only owe you $500. So it says, so what's that, Loka? I'm Mixas. I admit that I owe him the money. I, since I admit that I, that, I, that I owe him, that I paid part of the claim, therefore, the I have to swear about the rest. Swear about the rest. So, so Modem Mixas is not a vehicle to collect money. Modim Mixas is the Shavua ultimately what? To exempt you from payment. That's the biblical Modim Mixas. So that's Taina number one. Normally, again, when you swear, you swear in order to get you out of payment. And yet in this case, she's swearing in order to what? In order to extract payment. Furthermore, va'od ein nishpoin al kfiras shibud karkos. We'll say furthermore another technical issue, which is what, which let that lamaisa. We don't we don't generate an oath based on a kfira, based on a denial of a claim that has a lien against property. And other words, we'll both say that this is getting more technical. But the idea is whenever you have a loan that is secured by real property, so the Maisa Kfira or a denial of that loan does not trigger a Shavua. So in this case over here, because Ksuva is secured by real property, therefore again, ultimately denial of that claim does not, does not go ahead and trigger a biblical oath. So therefore I will say, I want to be clear, all, all that's happening over here is Rava is saying, Rava is, Rava is not disagreeing with the fact that there's a shvua. In this case, where a husband says, I paid you a shvua of a thousand zoz, she says, you only paid me a hundred. Rav is not disagreeing that, that the woman's going to take a shvua. Rav is just disagreeing with Rami Bar Chama's assertion that what? That this is a shvua daraisa. So Rav is just going to say, it's a shvua, but it's a shvua dirabana. El Amar Rav, midirabana. Rather, Rav says, no, 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 this is a rabbinic shvua. Why? De para daik, de mifra lo daik. Because if say, under normal circumstances, what happens is, a person who pays the money is often much more meticulous in the details of his payment. The one who is being paid is a little less meticulous in the details. And therefore, therefore the rabbis impose the shvua upon the woman. 
in order that she should be much more on top of the details, that she should be meticulous about the details as well, because meaning, since she knows that she's going to have to take a shvua in a case where, she, where, let's say, there's been partial payment of the ksuva, in order to collect the rest, she's going to have to take a shvua. The knowledge that she has to take a shvua makes her much more, much more, makes her, makes, makes her desirous of being much more on top of the details. We'll say, what happens if, sorry? Yeah, so right, see, the answer is yes. The answer is ultimately, again, there's a difference. Lines. If he pok shvua, if you could flip the shvua into the other party, if one party is chashed ala shvua, and also just severity of the shvua, shvua the rice is going to have greater, greater severity than the shvua de rabbanon. So, boilo. <coughs> So what happens if she was pogging her edim, her, excuse me, not pogging her edim, pogging her ksuva in front of the edim. Now what does this mean? Look at Rashi. So we'll say, she's saying, I received part of my ksuva, and I received it in front of edim. So again, let's say she has a ksuva for a thousand zuz, and she says, I received a hundred zuz of my ksuva in front of edim. Mahu. What's the halacha? So we'll remember, what is the husband claiming? Husband's claiming, I paid you the entire ksuva. So maybe we could say like this, Im isa de para be'edim hava parla. So I wanted, I could say, in the same way that the hundreds of was paid in front of Edim, if he really paid the rest of the ksuva, it would have been done what? It would have been done in front of Edim as well. The fact that there is no edos to testify that the rest of the ksuva was paid would indicate that what? That Lamaisa he didn't pay it. Oh, Dilmar, perhaps on the other hand we could say, Isramuye Isramile. Maybe the fact that he paid her the 100 zuz in front of Edim Rabosai, that's not that he went out of his way to find Edim, it just happened to be that what? That Edim were there. So since Edim were there, again, he paid her in front of Edim, but he was not, he was not necessarily midactic to go out and find Edim. Tashma, Kalan Ishpatin Shabbatar Nishpatin Blomashaman. Rabosai, in general, again, when you take a Shavuah, in a biblical shvua, you take a shvua in order to exempt yourself from payment. That's the goal of a shvua. However, there are certain shvuas of the elu in benotlin. But these are cases where a person takes a shvua in order to what? In order to be able to collect money. What are those cases? Has sachir. So once again, remember, look at Rashi. Sachir is all interesting cases. Sachir. Amrlo tenli schari v'hu omenasati. I'm working for someone. I go to my boss, I say, I'd like to get paid. My boss says, my employer says, I paid you already. So what's that? The employee has the ability to take a shvua. And when he takes a shvua, he's able to get paid. Ha-nigzal. Someone ultimately, again, who has property stolen from. Look at Rashi. Nigzal. Ra'ua she-nechnas beveso. I see someone entering my home. Amarlo teinli kelai shnatalta. Vomarlo natalti. Va'idim roshi yotzav akim tachas kanfei taliso. So also listen to this. So Ruben goes into my house and he comes out going ahead and carrying my uh, my um, crock pot. Mamish, that's very Hamish. Right, right? He's carrying my crock with the chalent in it. Right? So right, I see you carrying my crock pot. And I say, you took my crock pot. He said, what did you matter? It was my crock pot. And witnesses saw him coming out of my house. They saw him coming, holding a crock pot, but they don't know if it's his crock pot or my crock pot. So they say, what's that look on a case like that? I take a shvua, I take a shvua, and I get to retrieve the item. Next, Hanechbal, Rabbi says, someone who's injured Rashi, Ra'u Shenechnas Lasoch Beiso Viyado Shalim, Viyatsa Chavol, Vomerlo Chavalta, Vomerlo Chavalti. So it says, so I have a Jubin comes into my house, and when he comes into my house, he's fine, but he comes out of my house with his arm in a sling, right? He bro- and he says, You broke my arm, and I say, I didn't do anything to you. So what's Talacha? So the damaged party goes ahead and takes a Shavua and gets paid for his damages. Next, Ushekinegdo Chashad Allah 
Because we saw this in yesterday's daf that if let's say someone has to someone has to swear, right? Reuben has to swear, but Reuben is Reuben is known as a habitual false swear, false oath taker. So we both say we do what's called hipuch shvua. Hipuch shvua means we flip the shvua onto the other party, onto the party that has a chazaka being believable. Or next, the chenveni alpenkaso. This is another very interesting case. Let's say I have an arrangement. Rashi says the chenveni alpenkaso shekosei vohakafos of kach tzivani ploni loseis lepolov benasati lahem behem omrim lo natal nushneim nishalom lo tumeno. This is a fascinating case. Let's say I go ahead and I arrange with the local shopkeeper. I employ uh, five people, and I say to the shopkeeper, "Listen, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pay my wages." in the form of wares. So my employees each earn $500. I'm giving them each a $500 tab at your store. Now listen, I want to be clear. An arrangement like this only works if the employees agree to this as well. But let's say they agree to it. So they're going to take their wages in the form of wares from the store. So I tell Ruben, just open up, open, up, uh, open up an account. I have five employees, $500 each, $2,500 account. So what happens? So what happens? My workers come to me and they say, we never, we never got our, our groceries, right? We never took our, we never took our stuff. We never got, there was, there was nothing left, therefore you have to pay us. The Chenveni says, what are you talking about? I went ahead and they came to the store and they took $500 in groceries each, right? So we'll say, so what's the halacha? This is fascinating. The halacha is that the employees have to take a shavua and they extract money from the employer and the storekeeper takes a shavua and he also extracts money from the employer. This is quite interesting. So the employer could actually end up, in this kind of case, paying out $5,000, because again, each party's taking a shvua that they never got their money. Again, we'll talk about that case at a different time. And I will say, if a person goes ahead and pogim shtaro shalobeidim, then ultimately, again, he's claiming that he was paid part of his claim without aidim. Without aidim. So the Gemara on the Sebo saying, I remember that whole thing was brought up for this last case. So this is a case now where someone is claiming that they received partial payment of, of a debt due to them, but without Edim. Shalob Edim. Now the only reason why Lemaisa, again, you'll take a Shavuah in this case, is because there were no Edim. However, Shalob Edim in, Be'edim lo. Now, now what's the logic over here? What the Gemara is suggesting is like this. person comes along and says that I received partial payment for my debt without Edim, so I'll say, so without Edim, therefore, again, if the person wants to claim the rest, they have to go ahead and take an oath. But if they received partial payment with Edim, we could infer from that that what? That if the person who owed them the money took, went out of their way to pay back part of the debt with Edim, that they're going to pay back the rest with Edim also. Therefore, if there's no Edos on the rest of the financial obligation, that means that what? That what? That it hasn't been paid. So I'll say, so remember, this, this, is a, this is a proof to our case. Because we were suggesting over here, the Gemara wanted to know what happens if she claims that she received partial payment of her ksuva in front of Edim. And the Edim say yes, we saw her that she got a hundred zuz. So how do we view that? Do we say that that's a clear proof that he, the husband did not pay the remaining 900 zuz? Because again, if he was paying a hundred zuz in front of witnesses, then what? That means he's only going to repay in front of witnesses. And the fact that there are not witnesses on the subsequent 900 zuz means that what? He didn't pay it. Or do we say, no, he didn't go out of his way to find Edim. It just happened to do when he was paying her the 100 zuz that there were Edim there. So you figured, you know what? Okay, witnesses, why don't you witnesses? But Lav Dafka, that he went out of his way to find Edim. So you see from this price that what? That one of the cases, that one of the cases where a person has to take a shvua 
is pogim shtaroshalobeidim, where a person where a person received partial payment for their for their for their obligation with witnesses. Excuse me, without witnesses, then they have to take a shvot to collect the rest. But the inference from that is that if they received partial payment with witnesses, that indicates that the person who owes them the money is only paying back with witnesses. Therefore, if there's no edos on the rest of the debt. There is no obligation to go ahead and take a shvua because the assumption is what? It has not yet been paid. To which the Gemara says, Lomi bai kabar. The Gemara says, no, Lomi, lomi bai rabba says a stylistic idea. Lomi bai means you don't have to say this. Lomi bai. Lomi bai be'egdim devadai tzricha shvua. Rabba say now, it goes without saying that if there was edim, Lomi bai be'egdim, if the dak, if the loan was paid with edim, that certainly she requires a shvua to go ahead and collect the rest. Look at Rashi. Devadai tzricha shvua. Alashar on the rest of the debt. Daha the kamoja bahai mana mishum edimhu the laf hashavas avedi. Because the says she has no choice but to admit the one hundred zuz that's been paid because the man said there's edus on it. Therefore, avashalobe edim ema tehavi kemeshiv avedi. Both say this is Howard's point. See, I would have thought that perhaps even if there's no edus, that is like meshiv avedi. What does meshiv avedi mean? Like returning a lost object, that when she admits <laughs> that she was repaid, that she was paid one hundred zuz of her ksuba, it's like returning a lost object. Because she doesn't have to say anything, right? Because remember, again, in all of these cases, who has the ksuba document? She has a ksuba document. Is there any? Is there anything written on the ksuba document? You know, one hundred zuz, you know, received on the twelfth of ER. There's nothing written on there. She could keep her mouth closed and she doesn't have to say anything. So I'm going to have thought in a, that in a case like that where she's admitting the fact that she did receive 100 Zuz and there are no Edim, that she should be like a Meshavadim, someone who's returning a lost object. Most of that expression of Meshavadim means if I find an object and I could keep it, no one will know the difference. But if I go out and I return it, that's Meshav Aveda. So I want to thought that when she admits the 100 Zuz, she's like a Meshav Aveda. And therefore, again, the tish go below Shavua. And therefore, she should be able to collect the rest of the Ksuva without the Shavua. Kamash no. Kamash Malon, say that even in this case, again, where she is admitting that she received 100 Zuz, even though she didn't have to say a thing, and there's no witnesses, but once she does say something that she received 100 Zuz, that triggers the need at least for a rabbinic shvua in order for her to be able to collect the remaining 900. Let's say she received partial payment of her ksuva, but she received it which means what? She received like less than a pruta at a time. So now, meaning over time she's received, you know, a good amount of her ksuva, we'll call it a hundred zuz, but Lamaisa, every single payment that she received was less than a pruta. Look at Rashi. Pachos, pachos, yishar pruta. Bemanashi, moda, love, shekibla, osim, ocheshbon, kach, nasati, li, biyom, ploni, bekach, biyom, ploni, umitzarfasam, necheshbon, afilu, pachos, yishar pruta. So we'll say, so again, so essentially she received a hundred, by now she received a hundred zuz, but she received each little bit less than a shar pruta at a time. What's that locha? Mau, do we say the fact that she remembers what she received on which date? That she receives, that she remembers even when she received less than a Shavaputa, which means she's very meticulous in her record keeping, which means what about said, then when she says she only received 100 Zos, she's believed Kushta Kamra, or do we say that perhaps what? That perhaps she's trying to be a little bit tricky, right? Then she's trying to be a little bit deceiving by saying that she only received less than a shavaprut at each time, and therefore it's insignificant. The Gemara says, "Teku." We're not sure. So we'll say, what happens if a woman diminishes her ksuba? Now listen to this. Look at Rashi. 
Pocheses. Haisek suvasa elef zuz. Her ksuva was worth 1,000 zuz. Kasubashtar. Behu omer his kabalt kula. So also listen to this case. So the ksuva is worth 1,000 zuz. He claims that I paid you the entire ksuva. Behi omer slo his kabalt iklom. Avamodani shlo his nes. Shlo his nes. Imili ksuva elamana. Also listen to this. This is an amazing case. She has a ksuva document that says that her ksuva is 1,000 zuz. He claims I paid you. I paid you. She claims you didn't pay me. But I'll tell you what, if you remember, even the Meksuva says a thousand zuz, you and I made an agreement that you don't have to pay me the thousand zuz. The Meksuva is only worth a hundred zuz. A <laughs> hundred zuz. So, so she's denying that there was ever payment made on the Meksuva. But she's saying of her own volition that even though it says I'm owed a thousand zuz, you and I personally agree that the Meksuva is not going to be a thousand zuz. It's going to be one tenth of that. It's going to be a hundred zuz. So what's Talacha? Mi Aminan Hainu Pogemes. Do we say that perhaps this is the same case as Pogemes, as what we saw in the Mishnah, a woman who claims to receive partial payment? Oh, Dilma Pogemes, Mojib Mixas. Ha, Loka Mojib Mixas. Rabosai, or we could say, no, this is not Pogemes. Because in the case of Pogemes, what's happening, Rabosai? She's admitting that what? That she received partial payment. Here, she's not admitting that she received any payment. So, Tashma, let's analyze this. Pogemes, Tifrashala Bishvua. If a woman diminishes her ksuva so she can go ahead and get paid without a shvuo, what's the case? Ketzad, haisak suvasa elef zuz. If her ksuva was worth a thousand zuz, va'amrlo hiskab hiskabalt ksuva seich, and her husband claims I paid you, v'yomeres lo hiskabalti. She says I didn't go ahead and receive anything, but ve'ina elamana. But you and I made a side agreement that the ksuva is only going to be worth a hundred zuz. So what's the halacha? Nefraz shalom b'ksuvasa. Shalom b'shvua. So she's able to collect without a shvua. So we'll say, so the b'risa rules that in the case of pochazes, she's able to go ahead and collect, collect without a shvua. So the Mar says, let's analyze this. B'may gavya. We'll say, what is the vehicle of her collection? Right? Meaning, what, what is the vehicle that entitles her to collect? So, so the Mar says, b'may gavya. B'hai shtar. You're going to say that it's with this ksuvu, with the shtar. She can't collect with the shtar. Why can't she collect with the shtar, Bosei? Because she's essentially saying that the shtar is irrelevant. Why is the shtar irrelevant? Because Lamaise, again, she's saying the shtar says a thousand. She's saying, well, no, we don't really agree on a thousand, we agree on a hundred. In which case, she's rendered that shtar meaningless. To which the says, where she ultimately says, we had an agreement between one another. And Amana, I trust him, he trusts me, and therefore, even though we did, we agreed on a lower amount for the ksuva, nevertheless, halacha lemaisa, we are going to create an agreement between one another, and therefore, again, we're going to agree that dishtar should still be the vehicle of collection. So I will say, even though, again, by her saying we agreed on a lower ksuva, to a certain degree, she's rendered dishtar meaningless, but by saying that there's an amona, there's a trust between me and her, and him agreeing that there's a trust between me and her that we could use this star that allows the star to be the vehicle of collection. I will say, we'll stop over here. We'll pick up a mirror to show at the two dots tomorrow. In, in the case where she-